Okay, everyone, we are we are back with episode 31. We've had a long break. Thanks, everyone, for bearing with us, but we're back with, uh, with the great Bruce Watson again. And he's fresh from recording the new theme song that you just heard for our podcast. So how, how's it going, Bruce? I'm very well. Not so great. <laughs> <laughs> I've got the usual um, the, the cold that's um, doing the rounds over here in, in the UK just now, so I sound a bit snotty. <laughs> and we just listened to the song. It sounds fantastic. Oh, did you get it? <laughs> yeah. That sounds awesome. Thank you so much for doing that. That's incredible. So today, I mean, what we were planning on doing was just doing like a fast, rapid fire with Bruce Watson. So are you up for that? Yeah, I'm up for it. Let's have some fun. All right, good, good. So, and of course, with me as always is Svein from Norway. I don't mean to shortchange Svein. How's it going, Svein? Pretty good. I'm not <laughs> snotty. Okay, good, good. Ah, it's you gotta have some. You got to have someone healthy on this thing. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm marginally healthy, but uh, yeah. Okay, so... Maybe not mentally. I don't know. But <laughs> <laughs> why else would I be doing this? Um, but okay. So as you guys know, what we've asked you to do is send in any question that you wanted us to ask Bruce, and we said that we would try to get to as many of them as we could. Now most of them are have been most of them are serious big country questions. A lot of them are kind of funny questions. Um, so Bruce, we're, we're just going to ask them to you. Some of them we might not even know what they're dealing with. But if there's anything we ask you where you where you feel like. Hey, I don't want to answer this. Just just say no comment. Move ahead to the next one, and that's what we'll do. Right. No so, comment. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, I mean, Svein and I both wanted to ask about this topic anyway, so we figured that this was the perfect question to start with. And this comes from Kenny Henderson. And he says, how did Simon get involved, and will he ever be allowed to speak on stage? Right. I'll tell you how <laughs> Simon got involved. Um we changed agent after we came back from America. We did the UK tour, the last one we did, and we, we changed agent after that. It wasn't working out. Um, so our agent basically said, I know of this guy, I know a guy. <laughs> and we went, okie dokie. So <laughs> we went down, we met up with Simon, lovely guy, um, sent him some MP3s to learn, and we had a couple of rehearsals. And the first rehearsal we had, kind of didn't work out great because he was too good and I had to say to him like um, the songs that we were concentrating on was the the songs of the first couple of albums, the early songs where Stuart's voice was quite low um, as opposed to like after Peace in Our Time when his voice got higher and we said you're singing these too well, you know, almost like too polished and he kind of went away and he, he took it in and he sort of relearned them um, and I, I said, basically, you know, just try. I think you're trying too hard. And he came back, and what once once Simon settled in, it kind of went, went in the pocket. He, he nailed it, you know. It just took a little bit of time. Um, regard, re, regarding being allowed to speak, um, <laughs> Simon can say anything he wants. <laughs> well, within, I imagine. Reason. I imagine he's just getting his feet. Uh, wet and getting warmed up yes. to the whole thing too. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he's only did about um, done about four shows with us, um, and also we've had uh, we've not had as much rehearsals as we would like. Um, but we've got a few gigs coming up now, and I think um, once we get across in Holland and Belgium, we'll, it's like a mini tour. 
things will settle down. So I think basically everybody's just still finding their feet at the moment. Um, as you know from the last podcast, we were talking about doing it as um, a four-piece and sharing the vocals, and we, we, we tried that. But, you know, it's none of us are really vocalists. We're, we're instrumentalists, really, you know, and we just felt like, well, the, the instrumentation is going to suffer here, you know. So it was great when we got Simon on board, and it just freed us up to, you know, for us to concentrate on the music, as it were, you know. Yeah, fantastic. Mm. And yes, he's, he's allowed to speak. <laughs> <laughs> and is he is he from Scotland? Where is he from? No, he's from the, the north of England. Oh, okay. He's down sort of, um, in in the the Manchester Cheshire area. That's fantastic. Yeah, uh, I assume that you know Simon fairly well. You refer to him as, and Derek as the ugly fucking sisters. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I've only met him a couple of times before that, but hey, I'm, I'm just that kind of guy, you know. Oh, speed to speed. All right, well, I've, I've got one more for, for Simon. Um, was he, how familiar was he with your catalog and, and with Big Country? I mean, was he uh, someone who was aware of it? Obviously, he was aware of it, but I mean, was he a fan? Was he was he really into it from that standpoint as well? Or Yeah, I mean, he, he, was, he was aware of the catalog, mainly the, obviously, the, the hits, um, but there was a few tracks, like obviously like Restless Natives that he'd never heard before because it was a it's like a B side, a soundtrack thing that really sort of the hard fans kind of just knew about. So there was things like that that he wasn't too familiar with, but um, he was familiar with the like the, the the singles and some of the key key album tracks. He's, he's just a, he's he's a, he's a really he's just a music fan. He's you know he's into a lot of stuff. You know he, he did some work with Danny Lane. Uh, he's done stuff with the Yardbirds in the past as well. He's just a a, a great guy, just a, a real music fan. Excellent. Mm. Well, hopefully, we'll get a chance to talk to him at some point. Yeah, I think I think that'll be cool. Yeah, I just have one more about Simon, uh, and uh, I don't know if this is something that you're ready to comment on, but it's been said that he is not the fifth member of the band. He is still a helper at least that's the last thing we heard so um, I mean for Tom and myself we discussed this and to us it's apparent that he's here to stay is that something that you're moving yeah, forward yeah, towards definitely I mean for, for so I'm can... doing, what I'm doing just now as well is um, because I've got the new studio built in the attic I'm, I'll be sending out mp3s to the guys and, and Simon will be con- contributing as well so at the moment he's basically singing our back catalog but things, the way things are going, we're getting on really well, and I think the proof of the pudding will be to see how how we end up writing together. Because as a unit, we always write. We can't just rely on on doing our back catalogue. Right. Um, so that's going to be the the next hurdle, as it were, just to see how we get on writing. But we're not going to do a new album this year because. It's just it's pointless doing one until next year until we get get the songs written. What about what about lyrics this time, Bruce? I meant to ask you this. Do you think you you think you'll be contributing to lyrics? Um, I haven't thought that far ahead. I, I want to see what Simon comes up with. I want to send Simon stuff and right. just see what he comes up with. But Derek and I are kind of we've got sort of strange ideas when it comes to lyrics, and we we don't write mainstream or run of the mill. The stuff that De- Derek and I do are a bit dark. So yeah. even if Simon comes up with great melodies, and if he even if his if his melodies are good, and it's just I love you, baby, then it's like you know we'll, <laughs> right. be, cha- we'll be changing that to something a bit more, <laughs> right. a bit more David Lynch, you know. <laughs> okay, so the songwriting is the last phase of his apprenticeship. 
Yeah, it's not an apprenticeship. I mean, it's, it's yeah, so to speak. You know, round, roughly speaking, before he, before his role becomes more official, that's the last thing you want to no, see. He's, he's officially he's officially in the band. Um, I think it's because of all the Facebook stuff and the YouTube stuff. The first gig we did in the pub. I mean, basically, Simon was off off centre because you know the size of the venue. Um, and and the way people were filming it, they weren't actually filming Simon. You know, they were filming. They kind of went on Derek and myself. You know, so it's, it's it's been down to things like that. And you know, Simon's now obviously on the inside right, in the inside left of the stage. You know, mm-hmm. not center stage because no no one takes center stage. We don't do that, as as you know. And also, and also we haven't had we haven't even had a chance to get any proper photographs taken with Simon, you know, mm. which we hope to rectify um, over the weekend when we get down to Liverpool and Lowestoft. So people are still commenting: is, is Simon actually in the band, or is it, you know, he, yes, he is in the band, and it will become apparent once we we get um, photos taken and you know stuff like that. Fantastic, good. Well, you cleared that up. Okay, well. The next question comes, and you, you can see our definition of rapid fire, Bruce. We just spent like 15 minutes on one question, so I know <laughs> that was very rapid, wasn't it? <laughs> we'll, we'll move along more more quickly with some of these, but uh, but I, yeah, we both felt like that was an important thing that people were wondering yeah. about. So you made that clear. Um, yeah. Okay, so this next question comes from Alan Smith. You've already answered a portion of this. His first yeah. part of his question was any chance of new material this year. You already answered that, but he's he's wondering. Um, was there any live material recorded last year or or at any time with Mike? And is there any word on whether track-owned stuff is going to see the light of day at any time? No, there wasn't anything recorded last year Okay. Um, with, with Mike. There was no, no, nothing done. Um, and regarding track, um, track I don't think exists anymore. I don't think there's anything track can put out. Um, all, all the new releases that are coming out, are going to be um, obviously Steel Town, which will be done through Universal, mm-hmm. and uh, the following three albums I think will be out as well some point either this year or next year with um, all the extra tracks and um, there's a lot of REL stuff going to be on the the, the piece in our time stuff. Yeah, we have uh, some questions that I'm going to collect them all into one because we have any chance of a US tour, any chance of a Scandinavian tour, and we uh, Germany. So I'm just collecting that into a question and tell tell us about your touring plans. Right. Um, I think there's probably more chance of a Scandinavian tour than a US tour at the moment. Um, obviously, yes. Uh, well, I'm not promising them. <laughs> Um, obviously, we'd love to get back to the US because we've still got our, our work visas and stuff like that. Um, we've been speaking to agents recently, and it's really it's just not cost effective for us to come out to America, um, not for a while anyway. Yeah, it would be it would be great to earn a bit of money and go out there and and do it, you know. But it's just, and it's not only a big country that, that, that that's harmed to. There's a lot of bands as well, just cannot afford to go to America these days. It's mm-hmm. just so, it's just not cost effective, you know. The only way it's going to work is if we, I don't know, we've got some sort of recognition, maybe if somebody covered in a big country or fragile thing or got, got in the back of a support slot with somebody big, but, you know, I just can't see it happening. But who knows, hey, if, we, if, we, if I win the lottery, I'm quite willing to pay for everybody to go across <laughs> there. Because um, I love the place, I love it, you know. 
Um, but regarding Scandinavia, it's obviously it's closer. Um, we're going out to Holland and Belgium in a, a few weeks. Um, and there was talk about um, some German dates, maybe a, a date in Paris as well. But until these, until you actually got on the plane, they, they, you know, they're, they're not actually happening. But I think Scandinavia would be fantastic. I'd love to get back there as well. Fantastic. Wonderful. Awesome. I think that was the first time that anyone ever said, have it you, Tom, to me. Did you hear Swine <laughs> say that? When, when you said you were going to play Scandinavia, he said, have it you. <laughs> just don't let just don't let Svein open for you if you do play in Norway. That I, that would be disappointing to me. He's uh, just uh, worried about being uh, upstaged. I've only done one show in Norway, and that was in my big country. That was with Fish, I think. Oh, really? Interesting. Did, did we, we never played Norway, did we, Svein? You played in '86 in an ice hockey hall. <laughs> oh, we did it once. I've done it twice, then. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. You might have. Yeah. Well, well, Bruce, um, this brings us to another question. This is from Mark Cole. This kind of relates to your whole thing about winning the lottery. And he, uh, he's wondering if you, if you guys are familiar with the whole Kickstarter thing where, where you basically – this, this is kind of a model that a lot of bands have been using, and not just bands but filmmakers and artists of any kind, where they, they get the fans to basically finance their project through a, what's called a Kickstarter campaign. Right, and it's it's often seemed to a lot of us that you guys would be a perfect fit for something like that because you still have really passionate fans who would be willing to do something like that. I mean, you know, whether it's finance a tour, finance an album, right. recording anything. Have you ever considered Kickstarter or anything like that? No, I never, never even thought about it to be honest with you. I mean, I've heard of um, is it the pledge thing where you know people? I don't know. How, I know that from the Jam did a pledge album. Yeah, and the Stiffle Fingers guys did it as well. Um, That's exactly I, mean, I, don't, what I, I don't know enough about it to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, I, I would suggest looking into it because, um, I mean, like I said, it's 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 a really tried and true model for a lot of a uh, lot of artists, especially artists who you know were successful at one particular time, like really successful, and then still have a big fan base, but want to put more stuff out and not deal wow. with the. It, it's a way for you for the artist to not necessarily have to deal so much with the middleman and. What generally happens is they they come up with a campaign where they say, um, for example, there's a, there's an artist I like. I don't know if you've ever heard of her. She's more American, but her name is Juliana Hatfield. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, well she she does pretty much all of her releases this way, and she'll say, right. okay, I'm working on a new album for so much like the the lowest donation, you get a copy of the album and something else. For other donations, you might get like uh, some sort of memorabilia. Um, yeah. it, hers was kind of funny because. I think for like a donation of a thousand dollars, she would actually write the person a personalized song. <laughs> My God! <laughs> and, record, and record it for them and send it to them. So that was interesting. There are all kinds of weird and interesting ways that you can go about yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, I think there's uh, there's got to be an element of trust there, and there's also a risk because you don't know what's going to happen in the future. You know, somebody's pledging money or whatever. You know, for you to. Exactly. Go out there and a living. I, I don't know. It's I, like I say, Tom. I don't know enough about it. Right. It's it's the way of the world nowadays, isn't it? Every you know, a lot of people are doing it this way. You know. It is. It is. Just it, it might be worth looking into. I don't know. Yeah, just something to consider. And again, I, I wish I knew more about it too. But yeah. um, I think I, know, I might consider it if we had, if I knew that you know, in a few months' time that there was a writing frenzy, and I knew we had twelve 
12 tracks ready to go and all we needed was a recording studio to do it you know exactly but, see that's the but, perf- that's the perfect application you know at the moment at the place that we're at at, at, at this time you know all we've got is our back catalogue the the, the the Journey album which is now finished because we well as you know we should have toured it for a lot longer but we didn't yeah um, but we won't go there um, <laughs> so basically we're back to back catalogue again you know which is still fine it's, it's, it's not a problem you know but uh, you do you do realize, Bruce, that now that you're saying you don't know enough about it, we have hundreds of people listening to this who will say, oh, I can tell him. I can tell him. I'll let you the admin on that one then. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's, uh, I, I also think definitely that's something to consider. But uh, all in due course. And uh, yeah. when the time comes that you are considering various projects, that might be a model that we we. We hook up on end. Well, no, we should not be speaking about that because, like I say, we have to move forward. We're continuously moving forward, and yeah. that way, as we we've got a great back catalogue, but we always want to write. I mean, Derek and I always write, and Jamie and I are always writing anyway. You know. Yep. Awesome. Okay. Good. Well, we've done our duty and put that out there at least. So, all right. Well, here's one for you from from someone named Patty Garcia. What is your What is your favorite riff in the entire Big Country catalogue? Oh my goodness! How did it is? My favourite riff. Oh, well, I think from Stuart probably "Fuel to Fire" still, and it's still an amazing riff, you know. Um, loosely based on the Guns in our own theme tune and um, the theme tune to Zed Cars. You'll just have to Google that, guys. <laughs> uh, and I think from my own probably. Just, you know, my little funky part in Wonderland, I've always got a soft spot for that. Nice. Uh, Tony, I would say, did a Flame of the West. God, you know, it's great. I love that. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, you, that little riff is incredible. Yeah. Mm. All right, good. Yeah, so we have one from Gail Robinson, and she asks, if you can go back in time and remake one Big Country album, which would it be, how would it be, and why would you change it? The only this is really topical. I wouldn't change anything. I, I I would go back with the technology that we've got nowadays and remix Steel Town. Uh, unfortunately, Universal um, haven't got the money. Or so they say they don't have the money to do this. Ah, um, Kickstarter. Kickstarter. Well, we're too late for that now, mate. But <laughs> no, that is the only album that I would go back, uh, and I, I would not re-record anything on it i wouldn't do anything differently but i just know that there's a hell of a lot of digital clicks and noises there's a lot of stuff that needs tidied up on that album yeah um, and then put in its proper place but it needs a remix definitely without a doubt that's the only thing i would go back and do um buffalo skinners i would maybe go back and i would like to remix certain tracks on buffalo skinners i think some of it's it's got that kind of modern digital compression thing that was around at the time, you know, and I think some of the tracks are heavily compressed. Mm, and there's actually two mixes of that album. Yeah, US mix is just wonderful. <laughs> it's not a mix, it's just a remaster. Okay. Yeah, that's that's the George Marino one, right? That's right. And it, yeah. what a difference. I mean, it's, you know, it just sounds amazing. It is chalk and cheese. And we're listening to a lot of the 
the stuff over the because I'm learning, re, having to relearn songs with Jamie and myself, and listening to some of the CDs. And I haven't really listened to some of those CDs and that whole restless natives thing where I went, hold on a minute, this has been cut at the wrong speed. It's you know seventy five cents, you know, up in pitch. <laughs> right. And this is the thing I'm having with Universal at the moment. It's like you know really. We should, we should be having band members present at this, sir, you know, because things are coming back at the wrong speed. It just sounds Mickey Mouse. I mean, when I listen back to, to Restless Natives, I even sent the song to me, Simon, and what I do is, you know, I say, here's the recorded version, so you get all Stuart's inflections and his vocals and stuff, but here's the live arrangement. And he, even he came back and said, they're in two different keys. I went, I know. <laughs> so I had to kind of remaster it myself on the computer and send him a slower version, you know. But basically, an engineer sitting in the studio, he's given a track. He wasn't even involved in, in the actual recording 30 years ago. And he just thinks it's in the right key. I mean, it's it's not too bad. It's noticeable if you're in the band. I mean, I can hear Stuart's voice is too high and I can hear Mark's snare drums really tinny, you know, and it's never that tinny. And I just went, hold on a minute. And I'll play along, and I'm just going, no, it's wrong. And I've got to put it in my computer and, you know, redo the speed. Okay, well, um, let's see here. You, you kind of touched on this a little bit, but Sean Streeter asks, um, what are the plans for the Steel Town anniversary at this point, aside from the re-release of the album? Well, the re-release is imminent at Steel Town. I think that's going to be maybe another month, two months, and that will be out, um, which I believe has got... Well, I've actually got a copy of it. It's got um, some rough mixes of certain songs. Um, there's a couple of, there's a, another demo of Wonderland that was kind of went missing for a little while, um, which will be on that as well. Um, regarding the touring of that, we're going to be touring the album probably October-ish. Okay, so no, no change really from, uh, from what's always been the plan. That's kind of the plan. I mean, I, in the ideal world, um, I mean, I, I spoke to the estate about this as well. We kind of all thought that the the album should have been released 30 years to the, the month when it was released, you know, right. in October. Um, but, you know, I guess the, the Universal have got a, their own agenda and it's, they, they bring it out at this time, you know, they want it out early for whatever reason. Right. So it's, the tour, the tour's not going to really tie in with the album release, which is a, it's a shame, you know. You know, I'm just, a, I'm just, I'm just the guy in the band that played guitar in the album. They're the guys that own it, you know. <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> well, you know, I guess you, you have to look at it as if uh, at least it's being re-released, and um, yeah, people are going to be excited about that. I know I am. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I hope they really do a good job with them. I mean, it's not going to get a remix, definitely not. It's going to cost too much. I mean, my, my idea was to get Steve Lillywhite to do the three singles, and then I was going to go in with Tony and or Mark and um, do it with Andrea and uh, remix the rest of the album. But yeah. it's, it's just the record companies, not, they're not going to pay. It's, it's going to be you know too much money for them to lose at the end of the day. Yep, and, yeah, and that's, uh, that's business. Yeah, I know, I know. And as, as yeah. Fine said, like there are a thousand people out there right now saying, Kickstarter campaign. <laughs> I know. For the 35th, for the 35th for anniversary. All right. Yeah. It's fine. Your turn for a question. 
Yeah, we have one from Mark Coe, uh, and he asks, uh, well, that's an interesting one, and anything can come out of this. Uh, what, from no doubt a foggy memory, was the single best day of being in big country? The single best day? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, you're, you only get one, it looks like. I only get one. <laughs> one, the, the best day. I think, well, I mean, top top of my head, I'll just well, say. Well, clearly it it's like, this one. Yes, it's, uh, well, <laughs> uh, I don't know if when the, the, we got told that we were um, being nominated for the, the two Grammys and uh, the American label flew us out in Concord out to LA to to go and do the Grammys. That's oh, that's just off the top of my head. I've maybe got better ones, I don't know, but I'll just, that's one off the top of my head. Okay, well, you, you've got to tell us, uh, since not many people can exper- have experienced that, what is it like to fly on the Concord? It's like sitting in the back of a transit van. Is it really? Yeah. It's so small. Was it smooth? Yeah, incredibly smooth. Too smooth. (laughs) (laughs) He likes it rough. (laughs) Nice. So that that was great. I mean, we did it. Flew across (laughs) the Concord, flew back to Concord. No, it was quite enjoyable. You know, up there, um, you can see the curvature of the earth and stuff like that. So that was was quite good. Very cool. Mm. Okay, here's a complete left turn um, from someone named Matt Simpson. He says, what was it like going from Mark Brzezicki to Pat Ahern as a drummer, and why was Pat let go from the band? I think Pat got the gig because he decorated Tony's house. Oh, interesting. Okay. Famous in getting to play drums. It really, really hard because, I mean, I, I did a lot of rhythm stuff with Mark, you know, and for me to lock in... You know, I was always locked in with Mark, and then not even Pat. You know, if it had been anybody else, you know, it's, it was really hard for me to lock into another drummer. You know, which is sometimes I felt like I had a sort of bass player's role in some of the songs with Big Country, with the, the sort of rhythmical stuff I was doing, and Tony would go up the dusty end of his guitar. You know, and so the drums were really important for me. Um, I, I don't know. I just I didn't quite gel with Pat. I don't know why. Uh, I kind of gelled with Chris Bell, uh, but again, drummers are all, I mean, music, musicians are different, you know. I mean, that's not having a go at Pat, you know, he's just, you know, it's just, it, it, it didn't click for me. Right. It kind of clicked for me with Chris Bell. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I mean, right. you can't you can't uh, deny the the importance of, of chemistry, and if it's not, oh, there, it's not there. Definitely. I think as well because... Pat was kind of—he was a, a real light hitter. Mark, Mark was a, a heavy hitter, you know. That's funny you say that because I—I I always kind of noticed that on the videos that it—it it seemed like he was very lightweight with hitting, and I always wondered if that was just me or or whatever. No, so that's... I, I mean Mark, Mark was light as well because well, just through the dynamics the way he played, he, you know, he, he played heavy-handed when required, and in a split nanosecond he could go light, you know, and play military style. Where it was, you know, really subtle, you know. Very cool. All right, great, great answer. Wonderful. Okay, so we have Desi's question, uh, which is, what has been the most surreal experience in your time with the band? I don't know. We spent time out in Kosovo, uh, the height of the troubles, and that was kind of strange. Mm. You know, you're basically you're an entertainer, and then you you, you go to a war zone. And you're sort of entertaining the troops, but it's you know it's you're so you know you've got security everywhere, and 
And it's just, you know, it's like, should I really be here? You know, and that was just kind of strange. Um, and Live Aid was a bit surreal as well. We were on stage at the, for the finale where, you know, all these people like Paul McCartney and David Bowie and, um, <laughs> you know, Pete Townsend and Roger Daltrey. I mean, that was kind of, wow, this is, this, is, this is a bit mad. Am I really here, you know? <laughs> well, you know, that's interesting you bring Live Aid up because a lot of fans often talk about that. I mean, they, do you think that was a big missed opportunity for you guys that you, that you didn't actually play? Yeah, I mean, I don't know why we didn't play. I still haven't got a clue, you know, if we were asked, if we weren't asked, if, you know, if we were put forward or not. I remember you know, Geldof saying that, Bob Geldof saying that he thought you guys had broken up, so he didn't ask. Yeah. I mean, that was his I, I official even, answer. Well, we were, <laughs> he's probably right. I mean, we were on the same label as Bob Geldof anyway. Uh, and we were going through a bit of a, a troubled patch at that point as well from memory, so... I think we were on the the verge um, breaking up. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting, man. All right, so um, here's right. one. Here is here's one from a guy named Cameraman Tom. I'm assu- <laughs> I'm assuming that's not his birth name, but you never know. Um, he's he asks, how did you feel when Stuart first asked you to join him to make Big Country? Were you excited, anxious, nervous? You had already seen Stuart play in the Skids and knew how good he was as a guitar player. Um, were you confident or did you feel you had to go away and practice like mad? Well, Stuart told me about a year, maybe the timeline was wrong, but he told me previous when he was actually in the skids that he, he wanted to do something, um, a twin guitar thing mm-hmm. um, in the future. And I just thought, you know, he would just be really kind, really nice, um, because my band used to support the skids uh, in the Dunfermline, Edinburgh area quite a bit. And uh, I just like was just being kind, and then I was sitting in the the flat that Sandra and I had at the time, and Stuart came down. And he goes, uh, "Remember, I spoke to you about that doing that twin guitar thing." He goes, "I've left the skids. I don't <laughs> want to try it." You know, and I went, "Oh shit, right." <laughs> uh, it was great because uh, Stuart lived up in Town Hill uh, in the flat up there, and there was a like a library kind of institute across the street and he rented this little room down the stairs um, just next door to where they had the, the boxing classes for the, the youngsters um, so Stuart had his SG2000 and his H&H and he went out and bought a Tascam Porter studio you know from Sound Control which is the I'd never seen one before and I was like oh I like this you know <laughs> um, bought a couple of microphones um, he had his Yamaha synthesizer I had a mini Moog and I had a PA system so we used that for the monitors um, I had my SG500 and an old Carl's Broke Combo thing you know and uh, I always remember a good friend of ours a guy called uh, Donald Curry Dodds um, he was he used to do security for the skids, but he was working with me as well in music. Uh, and uh, Stuart said, "Oh, I have to go down and pick up the rest of the equipment down in London." So Dodds went away and hired a transit van, and the three of us drove all the way down to London and picked up the rest of Stuart's equipment and stuff for the skids rehearsal place that they had down there. Um, back up and just started recording, and he, Stuart had picked up on a, a song that I'd been doing, which started off with this bass guitar intro. Uh, so it ended up being Angle Park, and that was the, the first track 
that we, we started recording, which was one of mine, and it was like, Jesus, this is this is nuts. <laughs> and then Stuart had this um, guitar riff, which was like a an e drone kind of thing, and I always thought it sounded a bit like a skid song called Hurry on Boys, but it was actually Harvest Home. Oh wow, yeah. Uh, so those, those were the first two songs that we demoed, and we had this little this crazy little drum machine which you know had just like bossa nova and all that kind of stuff on it and all like a speed control on it so that was the that was the rhythm track oh man fantastic yeah i never thought of Incredible. those two songs t- together before but you're right they they there is a comparison between harvest home and hurry on boys i can definitely see that yeah there's definitely a a kind of a transition thing happening there, definitely. Yeah. Well, we did Angle Park. I always sung the first line. Stuart sung the second line. I sung the third line. He sung the fourth line. Oh, so really? So it was like, that Yeah. The first voice you hear, it's my voice. And then second line, Stuart's. Then the third line's mine. It's like a duet continues. Because originally, Stuart wasn't sure if he wanted to be the singer. Because we thought about getting a vocalist in. Mm. So I was like, <laughs> in fact, it was just going to be the two of us just sharing the lines. Sings and pointed fingers at us all. That's the line and pointed fingers at us all. Whereas when we did it live, it was us and pointing fingers at us. Fingers at us. Yep. All, you know. So yeah, that's <laughs> me singing the first line, shooting the second. <laughs> that is so funny. Well, it's it's funny because uh, when I when I first got those albums, I noticed that in the lyric sheet, a lot of the lyrics were well, not a lot, but there were a few that were different from what was what ended up on the album. So I always wondered how that happened. Like for example. Uh, I think Inwards had a line that said the scouts in the stairwell will kiss again right. instead, instead of we'll meet again. So yeah. did, did you guys like change them after you'd already sent them to the printers or that kind of thing? I'm not sure. Maybe even Stuart might have just made a mistake. I don't know. Just... Well, no, the, 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 the demo does say kiss. Right. And then, and then the final version says meet. And I remember the storm had different lyrics as, written as well. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. Even Harvest Home's got my home's on fire, my wife is fled. My wife is fled, know? yeah, yeah. Which is on the demo. I've got that. that that's it's actually sings out in the demo. That's right. I, that I did. That I did notice on that demo, and that that was like a big mystery solved. Uh, that yeah. was very interesting. And also in um, Heart and Soul, that was I think the the third one we did. Oh great! Okay. So that, that was an early one. Yeah. So picking up on the theme of uh, of recordings. Um, we have one from Jeremy Dennis, which is fairly interesting, and I wonder this myself. So he asks, uh, I regard the Restless Native soundtrack as some of the band's finest pieces of music. After hearing the recent Loft recording that you and Jamie played on, it had a similar feel, haunting, Celtic, thought-provoking sound. Is this a direction that you'll be visiting with new material? Uh, I'm not sure. Again, it's one of those accidental things. I was rebuilding the studio after the Christmas period because it was just a mess and um, I set up the old Porter studio which was kind of on its last legs anyway so I said to Jamie just play something so I can start going through all these tracks and just clean the machine up and you know so I, again I chucked the drum machine down and 
Jamie came up with the the. It's just, actually it's a Jamie song. It's not my song. It's Jamie's. Really? Wow, um, that's amazing. Yeah, he put, put it down, and then I just put my guitar on top of it, kind of thing, and a bit of bass. Something just happens. It's, you know, sometimes a little bit of magic happens, and sometimes yeah. I think that one just happened. And it was an accident because I was basically doing it for a technical reason and not to sit down and write something. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, it kind of ended up sounding that way. But you know, I'm going to sound like me no matter what. Right. But it, it really was a fantastic track. I'm glad Smart yeah, mentioned that because it. I'd forgotten about that writing it down here. But um, yeah, yeah fantastic. And, uh, the fan reaction was really positive to that, that one, so take note of that, if you will. And yeah, uh, what I've done, I've sent it to Simon and, and Derek, um, so I'll be awaiting their input at some point over the next month. <laughs> you know, so and Simon, he, he digs it as well, so he's going to write something um, to go with it, or you know, either that or it can stay as an instrumental and not get used, or I, I don't know. It's one of those things. Right. It's you know, we don't have a record label. We're not under any pressure. We just you know, there's no rules. We're, we're making up the rules as we go along at the moment. That leads us into another question here that kind of tags onto what you were talking about. This comes from John Wilbur, and he says, I'm interested in knowing just how far along in the instrumental stage a typical big country song is before lyrics are added. Um, were there, and then he says, were there any quote-unquote breach presentations first where the lyrics came first? To my knowledge, no. All the... Most of the stuff that we 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 did were always done instrumentally. Most of them, mm-hmm. um, and Stuart would take the tapes away, the cassettes away at the end of the day, and then a week later, I'd be like, "Let's get back in the studio. I've got the lyrics done." And then, you know, I'd heard it played it in a big country instrumentally, but just great track instrumentally that kind of sounds a bit like you know the Shadows without Cliff Richard, um, really melodic, and then. 
when Stuart put the, the vocals on it and then the harmonies, it's like, my God, that's amazing. You know, it's like, how did you get from there? Unless he had them in his head. But right. didn't, you know, because Stuart didn't even sing melody lines or hum along or scratch lyrics. You know, every track was an instrumental and it was like, sometimes I'd be, it'd be a pain in the ass for me because I'd have to <laughs> change a lot of the guitar lines over again because it, it clashed, you know, with the, the melody of the lyrics. But obviously the, the vocals are the, 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 the main vocal part of the song, you know. Even the, the last album as well, uh, it was mainly done instrumentally, but it's easier to cope with that in this computerized age because you can cut and paste and take things in and out easier than what you could back in the days of tape, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm. Awesome. All right, okay. great. I'll knock together two to uh, form a Steel Town single related topic where the first part is from Darren McGillrath and he asks how about a Steel Town related single to coincide with the album anniversary and also from uh, Justin Keeney why were only three singles released from Steel Town when there were plenty of options for a fourth single and which track would have been the fourth single uh, well I mean the first part of that question is kind of redundant because it's uh, you know we can't we, we wouldn't bring out a a steel town related single it's just I mean you, there's no point in bringing out singles nowadays unless it's the record company have got a reason for doing it mm-hmm. um, regarding historical um, I do not know why there was only three singles off the album well three uh, probably, still seems like a lot to me yeah but I, I think it's probably because we got to a point after steel town where the band had been you know, again, like when I said, there was a, a period of time when the band were almost breaking up um, due to health reasons and stuff like that. And I just think we needed a break and there was no point in the record label putting out a fourth single um, when the band wasn't going to be well enough to support it. Mm-hmm. But I do think if there was a, a fourth track, it would have probably been Steel Town, I think. Oh, nice. Okay. It's not really a singles album, that album, you know. No, definitely not. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, so uh, I, I always considered Rain Dance as the most commercial-sounding song uh, of the bunch. Was that ever mm. discussed as a single option? Not to my knowledge. Okay. Not to my knowledge. I, I don't think it was. Like I say, I just think the band were at that burnout stage. We'd been working constantly from the day Stuart and I got together kind of thing, you know, and taken and it was like, you know, let's um, put this to bed for a little while. Right. Okay. Well, here's a question from a guy named Jeff Nichols. And this comes up, this is about the, uh, the album that followed Steel Town, the Seer. He's wondering, and I think we've asked you about this before, but we'll ask it again. This, this is kind of like one of those Holy grail things for the, for the, crazed big country fans like us and that is <laughs> that is the robin miller the, the original robin miller mix of the seer he says does that exist anywhere do you it have a did. copy no i did have a copy of a cassette copy of it and it got lost al- along with a lot of other cassettes mm. now i spoke with robin miller about this recently um you know i just got on facebook you know and uh, i got a, a message from robin you know oh cool and we were talking about it, and the only track that survives is, you know, the, the mix of Look Away is right. actually Robin Miller's mix. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's, that's Robin's, that's not Walter's mix. And you can really tell the difference, too. It's, it's interesting. Yeah. And Robin's mix was really 
organic and it sounded like how we played it live, whereas Walter's mix, then Walter was taking instructions from Dave Bates, who was the A&R guy at the time, um, who just basically wanted hit. You know, he's quite right, he wanted hits, but it involved all that stuff that we weren't into, like, you know, there's all this Fairlight stuff and adding brass and right. sequenced basses and all that kind of stuff, you know, and it, it just didn't sound like big country. Right. But, hey-ho, they were hits, so you cannot slag off Dave Bates for doing that kind of thing, you know. But Robin's Mel- Robin Miller's mixes sounded like a live representation of the band, but a very, very good live representation. In fact, I think it's what, probably one of my favourite mixes of all our albums was Robert Miller's mix of the Seer. But, you know, oh, man. I mean, I think it was legendary. Look away was cut about, mastered about 30 or 40 times before <laughs> Dave was happy with it. Well, we, we spoke with Robin uh, by email on, a, on an original podcast one, or an earlier podcast, and he was very proud of the fact that, uh, that his mix was the version that was released as the single. It was definitely. Yeah. Mm. So well, so, so there you go. Kickstarter campaign for the Seer remix, Robin Miller. <laughs> so uh, given that the Seer, you mentioned that it could potentially come out again later in the year or next year, uh, would you consider putting the Miller mix on it? So so we I have it. Exists. I'll tell you what. That was good thinking by man because what I may do is get in touch. I'll do it after I've spoken with you guys. I'm going to get in touch with Universal and find out if um, Robin's mix is there because it's obviously in existence that, and it, it was mastered in stereo because I had the cassette of it. Um, but like I say, that that disappeared when I moved house many, many years ago. Like a lot of stuff goes missing, you know, books, cassettes, crap, the occasional shoe, you know. So... Yeah. But, <laughs> I think it must should, be an existence. It has to be. I think we need to find Dave Bates and beat the hell out of him until he tells us where it is. Uh, <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, it's got to be out there. No, I'm going to. You've, you've just. That's a good idea, guys. So I'm going to. I'm going to. I'm going to make it happen. All right. Fantastic. <laughs> Incredible. Yeah. That so we won't get Steel Town, but we might get to see her. You did awesome. well. If it's if it's still in existence, it, you know, it must still be in a vault somewhere. Incredible. Yeah, we'll see. We can hope. We can hope. Definitely. Yeah. So I have one from Mark Dunwillows, which is more about uh, live rituals. So he asks, do you get nervous prior to going on stage to any other member of the band? Who's the worst? And linked to this, you played a huge variety of venue sizes and events all over the world. What makes for a good show and what can ruin it live? Um... I think we all get nervous. It's uh, different, different degrees of nervousness. It's like, you know, I can play in front of 180,000 people supporting Queen and I feel fine. I can play in Tom's local, you know, the, the Sutlery, for instance, and it's like, oh, my God, and you're a bit more <laughs> nervous. It's, it's, it's weird. Um, rituals, I always wash my hands when I went for a pee, but the last <laughs> pee... The last pee before I go on stage, I never wash my hands. <laughs> so never shake my hand on stage at a gig. Do, you, do your roadies know that? Oh, everyone knows that. <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> Sorry, it's, no, no. it's one of my little things. <laughs> well, that's good. It could, uh, it could be worse. It's so dirty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it could be worse. 
<laughs> All right, excellent. I think um, J- J- Jamie probably gets the most nervous. Mm. But he's uh, growing in confidence all the time. Fantastic. Fantastic. Mm. Uh, Bruce, are you doing okay on time? We, don't, we only have a few more, but... No, I'm fine. I'm, I'm cool at the moment. What time okay. is it? Okay, good. It's, uh, oh, so it's only five to four, isn't it? Yeah. My time. Yep. yep. Good. Yeah, well, we, you know, yeah. well, you know us. We, we'll keep going. So just tell us when you want to stop and we'll stop. Um, okay, good. Well, so let me, let me throw another one out here for you then. Um, let me pick a good one here. Uh, okay, here's here's another one from cameraman Tom. He says, uh, "What? Who's your favorite guitarist apart from Stewart? And who do you, what do you think of Gary Moore and Stevie Ray Vaughan?" Um, my favorite guitarist is obviously like, I've always loved Bill Nelson mm-hmm. uh, from Bebop Deluxe and Red Noise, and also Zal Clemenson from the Sensational Alex Harvey Band. Um. Gary Moore, I, I don't actually. Uh, he's, Gary Moore's obviously one of the greatest blues players, you know, from Britain uh, yeah, yeah. or Ireland, I should say. And I, I you know, I, I don't really know too much about Gary Moore. Moore really, I don't. I don't either. I, I know he passed away recently. That's about yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan again. I'm, I'm not overly familiar with Stevie Ray Vaughan's catalog. It's, I was never into a big blues man, you know. Right. Right. I was never really into that, but I know the guys; those guys were geniuses, you know. Okay. Yeah, I'll ask one of mine. Uh, where um, the Beatles famously used John Lennon's backing track to finish uh, two new songs in 1995. Uh, so you probably know where this is going. I don't know if you have any Stuart demos or material available, but did you ever consider pulling a Beatles and doing the same thing? No, I never. No, that would. That would never happen. I, no, I, I don't think I would want to do that, you know. I, 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 there's, there's no, I don't have any demos, eh, anything like that. So <laughs> you could actually do that kind of thing. They all disappeared in the wash with the shoe. Well, I mean, I've got demos, they're all, they're all mixed down with vocals anyway, but uh, I, I, I don't know if I, I, I just don't know if, if that would sit right with me. Uh, I was going to say, it sounds like it just doesn't feel right to you. I, I don't know. It's, I mean, it's an interesting question, but I... I I don't think I would do that. <laughs> right. Okay. Fair and enough. You know some bands, and you know some bands go all the way with uh, playing with a hologram on stage. Of <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I still can't wrap my head around that. I'd, yeah. No, I don't. It doesn't sit right with me. You know, I can see why maybe some people want to do something like that. Yeah, exactly. Okay, here, okay cool. here's one from a guy named Smokey, and I don't know if it, how to pronounce his last name. It's R-U-C-H, so I guess it's Smokey Rutch. Oh, and by the way, Bruce, um, quick uh, tangent here. Is Simon's last name pronounced Huff? Yes, it is. Okay, we were wondering that before. So, okay, Simon Huff, got it. Huff, yep. Okay, so this, this is from Smokey Rutch, and he's wondering how you deal with, uh, with fame in the U.K. This, he's from the U.S., so he's asking right. you, um, what kind of – he says, is it like – do you live in what you would consider a normal life, or do you have to look for stalkers every time you leave the house? <sighs> And nah, stalk, stalkers completely. does not include uh, us. Yeah. Yes. Um, no, I mean, it's, for, for the past 20 years, it's been f- fine. I mean, I, everybody knows me where I live anyway, in Fairmont, because I've stayed here most of my life. Um, I think in the, the early days, when you were getting attention and you're on TV and stuff like that, you know, it can be a bit annoying. Um, you know, people always want to 
either bring you down or have a, a little pop at you or something like that. But no, nah, I think most people know that I'm just just a musician, you know. It's just just my job, as it were. But no, I don't get any hassle with that kind of stuff. <laughs> okay, good to know. <laughs> Okay, uh, I have one from Gary Clark, who is uh, a big fan of the REL sessions, like uh, a lot of us are. Uh-huh. And he asked, so he asks why you chose not to work on some of the songs, and why some of them got used on Peace in Our Time and end up like they did. Um, because we signed a new record label with um, Reprise Warner Brothers in America, and we decided we were going to be good boys and do everything that was asked of us. And um, Peter Wolf, who was producing the album, um, he had a, a big say in how he wanted to, to sound. Um, and there was certain tracks he just didn't think were suitable for uh, the American market. And we spent about two and a half to three weeks in pre-production, which is basically rehearsals, uh, reworking the songs and coming up with some of the newer songs as well. Mm-hmm. But as we all know, the I mean, I admit it as well, I think the... The songs on the REL demos are far superior to what's on the, the album, but I think the actual sound of the album's fantastic. Sonically, it's just Peter Wolf did an amazing job. Mm. But just some of the, again, it was all the way technology was going, you know, using Sinclair and I mean, things like 13 Valleys and everything I need for you know, he would sample each individual string. He'd say he would get Stuart to sit down, and be like play your E string, play your A string, play this note, play that note, and he would sample it out of the keyboard and you know, play it. I'm playing a keyboard here, by the way. <laughs> so I do have a keyboard in my studio, um, and um, that, that that's the way technology was going. You know, to get that sound, you know, complete separation and control over every single sound. Yeah, and. I think in the end, what I suggested to Peter was when he did that, when he sampled Stuart's guitar and he played it on the keyboard, we got Stuart to actually play the part, but not not play it, only use his left left hand so you get the string noise, which is even <laughs> barely audible on the recording now anyway. Wow. You know, wow. Just, just to try and get a bit of a human feel about it. But well, it kind of sucked the, the life out of the... The album, you know. Yeah. I, mean, I think River of Hope sounds fantastic. Uh, Mark's drums and Tony's bass with that low octave thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Stuart and I are just playing a Richie Blackmore like, over the top, that kind of thing, you know. <laughs> but it sounds great. Yeah, it does. And, you know, let me just jump on that a little bit myself um, out of curiosity. And this might be something that's just, you know, a little too specific to remember at this point. But do you have any memories, like any specific memories of any of the REL songs that didn't make it as to what someone like Peter Wolf might have said about them as to why he didn't think they were suitable for the US market or I mean, I, don't market. I, thought, I thought Over the Border would have been a, a great track for that album yeah oh man I think that, you know especially the Sinclair because I mean I was playing my 12 string with the mute bar which had that kind of you know almost like a, a sequencer sound about it anyway you know like almost Chinese Japanese kind of sound mm-hmm um, but he just didn't he, he didn't want to touch things like that you know yeah what a shame I, I, I mean as you say I, I think there's a lot of good things to like a lot about Peace in Our Time I still listen to a lot but yeah those songs man and Over the Border especially is one of the yeah. best uh, intros was, I think I've ever heard but the anyone. album's a very very 
accessible album. Uh, I think because it sounds kind of, but then it was like a mainstream album. It was, even though it didn't do anything uh, in America, it does sound like a, I mean, uh, if you, you put it next to We Built This City on Rock and Roll, it sounds the same, you know, because yeah. Peter did that as well. Exactly, exactly. But it didn't sound like a big country record, uh, apart from Stuart's voice and occasionally Mark's drums, but even the guitars were just, there wasn't a hint uh, how we sounded previous to that. But. Right, exactly. Sounds like you just uh, you're ele- you're you just arrived on your floor. Sounded like an elevator bell went off. Yeah, it's obviously an email coming in. I've got my mobile up here, so it's my, my email. Oh, cool. Okay, I've never heard that chime before. Okay, we've 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 almost exhausted our questions here, but I've got a couple more, um, a few more. Uh, this one comes from Paul Wren, and he says, "Are the band, i.e., Bruce and Sandra, effectively managing themselves at this point?" Um, no, basically it's. We are, we are managing ourselves at the minute. It's it's a lot different. It's a different kind of regime. Uh, I mean, Sandra and myself have basically kind of taken the role that Ian and Debbie had, um, and I didn't I don't didn't want the role, but um, I've just had to step up to the plate and do it. You know, uh, we've got we've got one agent now um, who's. Kind of like a manager, but not a manager. It's, you only really need a manager if you've got a if you're dealing with record companies and publishing and stuff like that. And at this moment in time, we've scaled back. We've even had to scale back on road crew and stuff like that. It's just times are so different nowadays, you know. Um, and especially all this, all the the social networking and stuff, which I was never interested. I mean, I, I like going on the big country forum in the past, but Facebook I shied away from it for so long. Mm-hmm. But now you've just got to get involved, and if I don't get involved, no one else is going to get involved. Uh, and really, Mark's a drummer, right? Right. <laughs> Mark's a drummer, um, <laughs> and I just feel like it's down to me. But obviously, we're, we're working hand in hand with with the estate as well, which um, didn't happen up until recently, you know, for reasons that we, we never knew about. Um, so it's, it's a happier ship at the moment. Uh, I, think, I think there's a, a, a future for, for the band, you know, and that, that might even just could be just playing gigs or it could blossom into something else. But at the moment, things things are in good shape. And I mean, you could probably think, well, the turmoil that's happened over the past few years. Um, and for me to say that, you know, it's I think we're in a good place at this moment, you know. Good. As long as we've got our health and stuff like that. Exactly. Great. Fantastic. So, uh, can I just ask a little bit about how you work with the estate and uh, how, I mean, just how does that setup work? I think a lot of people are, are wondering about that. And especially after uh, Jamie Davidson jumped on Facebook to answer fan questions on behalf of the estate, which was one thing I've never seen before. All right. Um, what's the, I can't really go into anything specific. I don't think it's really anybody's business you know that, and right. I, I'm not being um, impolite when I say that I just don't think it's anyone else's business to, to, to know especially in this day and age of the social networking thing you know <laughs> you know so I, I, I think things like that need to be need to remain private anyway it's like a respect thing yeah, yeah and that's a fair answer yeah no problem okay uh, well let me see here what, what else do we got um, 
Oh, here's one. Okay, <laughs> this comes from Jorgen Jorgen Cole. Uh-huh. And apologies, Jorgen, if I mispronounced your name. If, I if recognize you got... all these names. I, okay. Okay. Tom, I recognize every <laughs> single name. <laughs> well, you should. I mean, you've been here for years. <laughs> okay. Um, he says, uh, you, you guys have said that you're not going to play Steeltown in its entirety. He says, if that's the case, then what will be left out? I could do without Girl with Gray Eyes, but would love to hear all the other songs live. <laughs> I think you're going to. Obviously, we, Steeltown was an album that was written in the studio anyway. Yeah. Um, and we could only manage to do. I think we did five, maybe six songs off it anyway. But I think, obviously, we've still got, <laughs> you've still got to play the hits. You've still got to, it's like trying to keep everybody happy. You've got to play the hits. You've got to play songs that we want to play. And obviously, we're going to be concentrating on Steel Town. I, th- I think you're going to get 80% of Steel Town. Nice. But nice. I'm saying that at the moment because we haven't rehearsed it. <laughs> Certain songs that were never played live. Right. Or even intended to, p- to be played live anyway. Are you, are you going to break out the coin for the intro to Tall Ships Go? I think we're, I'm going to have to address <laughs> that. I think I'm going to have to work on that one, I think. <laughs> that, that'll be you, tough. You, you, do a, you do a mean version of that one. <laughs> I tried. It still didn't sound right, but I tried my best. Maybe Swank can get hold of a, a kroner. I think it was done on a kroner originally. originally. Oh, wow. Okay. Nice. I'll send you a bunch. Oh, just one will be fine. <laughs> oh, wait, send, send, it's fine. Send me as much money as you can get your hands on me. You see, I, I expect you to play it so often that you wear it down, so you need a whole ah, lot of... Uh, oh, that's good. Well, I've got, my, I've got my, the guitar that I played on that album back anyway, so I think that, that may have to come out as well. Oh, fantastic. Okay. Fantastic. So we have a related one to that guitar. Uh, we have one from Wayne Edgerson who uh, asks... If you have to choose one guitar, one amp, and only two pedals to use for the rest of your career, what would they be? Ooh. Well, now that I've got that guitar back, I think it would have to be that one. Um, although <laughs> the the most versatile guitar that I've got at the moment, uh, which I was just using half an hour ago, is a, is a Matus guitar, um, which I actually used on the German album. But mm. I think as an all-rounder, my yellow guitar, which is a Fret King, it's probably the, the best guitar that I've got. But I, I did a lot of modifications on that guitar to, to get it to, to, to be in that, that spot. Amp-wise, ooh, the only amp I've got in the house at the moment is a, a Fender Supersonic head and a, a Laney blue cabinet, a 2B12, which is a great little setup. Um, pedal-wise, the pedals I've got sitting in front of me is my TC Nova, Attached to a TC electronic poly tuner and a and a foot controller that goes with it. So they, and they're all on the one pedal board. So I think that counts. <laughs> nice. It counts. And Bruce, what is what is the guitar that you got back from the from that period? Is that your SG? It's my red SG, and okay. it's bizarre because because of the Facebook thing, people have been posting up pictures from real early days. And I've came across three or four pictures of Stuart actually using the red SG. Oh, wow. So I think I must have been, for memory, because Stuart had the, the green SG, but he also had the Antigua Strat. Um, and I used to use the Antigua Strat on songs like Chance before I actually had a black Stratocaster, you know. So I think there was a bit of guitar changes going on there that I've forgotten about. Nice. Fantastic. All right, great. Um, 
Okay, um, just seeing what we've got left. Here's one uh, from someone named Brant Huseman. He's wondering, he says, since Tony wrote so or co-wrote so much of what was on the journey, has he ever listened to the journey, and has he ever offered his opinion on how the final product came out? Yeah, I thought it was shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. He got a copy. I know that he got a copy. Okay. Um, I don't know. It's like one thing I, I, I certainly wouldn't ask Tony what he thought. You know, you don't like to ask anybody, like, what would you think of that? Because yeah, right. might just turn in and go, shit. Um, <laughs> I don't know what Tony thinks of it. I mean, I speak to Tony quite a lot, actually. I've spoken, spoken on the phone recently. Yeah. Okay. So... No, I, I think Tony. Tony's cool. Excellent. But no, I didn't. I didn't ask his opinion or anything like that on the album. Okay. Okay. Cool. Fair enough. All right. I have one from Mark Danvillos, uh, and he asks about. You touched kind of on it with the social media before and uh, your current role in the band, but uh, he points out that, that uh, you are now seen as a leader and a figurehead for the group and how easy or enjoyable is this for you? I, I disagree. <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely, you know, I never, I never wanted this spot anyway, you know, I just, I've always been happy just co-writing songs and playing my guitar and, but I think that's probably why the business ended up in a mess anyway because, and Stuart was guilty as well as Mark, Tony took a bit more interest in the business side of things but um, to be honest, Stuart, myself and Mark were never really that interested. And I think that's how we kind of ended up mm. in that position just before we broke up anyway, you know. Um, but now there's, you know, it's, there is a future there. And there's too many other people like, you know, there's family. You know, mm. Tony's got family members. I've got family members. Stuart's got family members, you know. And, you know, life doesn't last forever. It'd be nice for the business to be taken care of um, for, for family members, you know. And e- even Ian as well, you know, Ian and Debbie. And, you know, I just think it's, it is a shame the way it's ended up. But business is to be taken care of and we're trying to do it in a, a proper and honest, honest manner, you know. So, you know... I have to take more responsibilities instead of just playing guitar, you know. So that's why I'm kind of <laughs> being a bit more responsible about it. But, but hey, when you get older, you know, it's mad. At least I don't think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's always so interesting when you're an artist and you have to get involved in that side of things that's really just, you know, you're just really not comfortable in. And I think a lot of artists find themselves in that position sometimes. It's just... It's hard to balance the whole art versus the the business side of things. Yeah, it's like I've never seen rock and roll as being some sort of business model. The way you know other people kind of treat their their, their business as it were, but you know it is a business and it's it's got to be done right. Right. And uh, it's something that I'm learning all the time. It has well, to be done. Well, I think you're doing a hell of a job. Oh, thank you very much. I'm going to do my job. <laughs> we're, glad we're glad you're still doing it. I think it's a balance of wearing the right, the right hat at the right time. You know, right. we're wearing both those hats at the same time, and I think both of them suffer, and it becomes right. quantity as opposed to quality, you know. Well, I was going to say, but, uh, if, the, if those sound clips that you've been posting recently are any indication, it doesn't seem like the artists 
the art side is suffering at all. It's it's some of the best stuff I've heard from you guys in a long time. So, no, it's getting there. It's, it's getting there. We just got to you know keep the old fingers crossed and keep it one day at a time kind of thing, you know. And yeah, let's just just hope that we can you know continue. Definitely. Okay. Um. This is from this is the last one. This is from Yi Yin Chong, and this is a little bit of a long question. So I'm going to try to um cut some of these things. He says that. Uh, He's noticed that the current lineup plays the songs as they sound on the albums. When Stewart was around, he and Bruce would play extended improvised guitar solos in songs like Fields of Fire, In a Big Country, etc., such as inserting Restless Natives into Wonderland, etc. Um, would the current lineup ever consider doing more improvisation in some of these songs in the future? Yes, probably. Although, although the sound in you know, like we were, um, it was off the bat. It was actually rehearsed. It was, it was kind of well rehearsed. <laughs> right. At, at the moment, um, what we're trying to do is take the songs back to the original, as close as the original way they were played, either in the studio or live. Um, and now that we've got Simon on board, he can. We're back in the original key as opposed to being down a semitone to suit Mike's voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you all know, Mike used to ad-lib quite a lot, but that's, I'm not going to go into that. That's his thing. Right. He, he does that way, whoever he's, he's working with anyway. And uh, we just felt that we should take it back and get get it sounding as close to the record as possible, even adding in all the, the extra overdubs that even Stuart and I never did because maybe Stuart was doing a vocal at the same time, you know. And when you've got Simon, you know, just concentrating on the vocals, that frees Jamie up, Jamie and myself up to do maybe a, a couple of harmony lines or whatever that even Stuart and I never did. Um, and also because you got a lot of younger people that were never even around when we first came out and they're maybe going onto YouTube and, you know, coming across, you know, some old big country singles and videos and stuff. So you, you want to go out and you want to play it pretty much as they want it, and they would expect to hear it, you know. Mm-hmm. But there's nothing going to stop us in the future. And again, it's more of a technical issue uh, down to getting rehearsal times and stuff like that. Yeah. Where we could expand. I mean, one of the ideas I had doing was going out and doing some of the 12 inch versions of the songs, which Mark sometimes touched on with the drums for like the intro to In a Big Country and, you know, the, the, the old intro to Wonderland, where Stuart would do with the lay guitar thing. But it's just. It's a, it's a time thing and a technical thing that we I think with the time I think hopefully with, with, with the steel town thing we're going to have to go into a production rehearsal it might be a week where we might have to go into a venue and spend a bit of money and, and do it you know instead of just like doing a you know do your homework learn it in the car on the way across kind of thing which tends to happen quite a lot these days and just take a bit of care over it you know and when you're in a rehearsal situation like that, that's when those things tend to arise. Where it might sound like you're actually improvising stage, it's obviously it's been rehearsed. <laughs> right, right. Because you're rehearsing in a in a studio, and it's like, you know, you just somebody will start playing something. Go, oh, I like that. What's that? Oh, we should chuck that in there, and you know, and that, that's how it comes. I mean, it still happens organically. It's not contrived. Mm. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah, I, th- I think we would be up for doing stuff like that. Okay. Fantastic. And there was one other one that I missed here. I apologize. This is from Lance Egan, and he says this is probably the better way to end. 
Um, and you, you maybe touched on some of this before, but he says, what was Bruce's most memorable spinal tap moment in the band? Every band has a spinal tap moment, you know? <laughs> a thousand moments. Well, obviously, the, the moment on the tube was one, the, that famous moment where they came <laughs> Oh, yeah, that was just... Uh, on the, one spinal tap moment was when we played with the, the Stranglers at the Reading Festival way back, and the Stranglers had this um, biotechnics guy who I think he used to just blow things up when they did a song called Tank, you know, chuck grenades at them or whatever. And he said, right, you do that song, Fields of Fire, he goes, that bit where Stuart comes up to the mic and sings, on Fields of Fire. He goes, I want you to move about four feet away from the microphones just after Stuart shouts fire because that's when the pyros go off. <laughs> I got to that point in the set last song, on Fields of Fire. We've moved back four feet, but really we should have moved back 20 feet because that was the most almightiest explosion. <laughs> it took the hair off our eyebrows, you know. Sounds like there was a kiss-like explosion. Oh, yeah, guys in the lighting trust jumping to, you know, get away from the flames. People with broken legs. Uh, this guy, I think his name is Martin. But he was just, I'm sure he had an orgasm every time he set off a firework, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to, I would love to see video. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thanks to you, you've got no fucking facial hair, you know, I'm not a... <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Bruce, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Appreciate your time as always. And we are going to be looking forward to seeing how things develop with Simon and everything else. So thank you. Hope you're feeling better. And uh, you guys in the UK will see them soon and... Hopefully we will too, but thank you. Okay, no, guys. Thanks very much. That was an absolute tonic. I feel so much better. Awesome. Bye. Fantastic. <laughs> Take care. <laughs> okay, so that's episode 31 of The Great Divide. Thanks, as always, for listening. We really appreciate it. And we've gotten a lot of new members on the on the site. Even in this hiatus, we've, we've seemed to be getting new members, so that's great. And if you haven't uh, liked our Facebook page, if you are a member of Facebook, sign up just to be on this page. It's worth it. Uh, the Great Divide podcast. Just do a search for it. And um, you can also find us at bigcountrypodcast.com. And you can also email us at bigcountrypodcast at gmail.com. So that's it. And we will talk to you next time. Ciao. Tom. Uh, thanks to you for no fucking facial hair, you know, I'm not a... You know.